Okay. Are we ready? Yeah, I'm sorry. Okay. It's been recording for 15 minutes. I'm just <laughs> <laughs> All righty. Well, welcome to another episode of We Have a Problem. I am your host, Miranda. Um, listening to past episodes, I feel like I have not been introducing myself, so I'm sorry if those were one of your first episodes, but I am Miranda. I introduced myself and my background in episode one. If you want to start there, that's a better spot. Um, today I'm joined by one of my doctor friends. <laughs> I didn't know that I had any doctor friends, but this is awesome. Uh, Melissa. Hello. <laughs> Melissa is not an alcoholic, but you work with alcoholics, right? Yes. So I'm Dr. Melissa K. Technically, <laughs> Melissa to most people who are probably watching this or listening <laughs> to this. Um, I'm a psychologist. I'm licensed uh, to practice in California. Um, I work at a group private practice right now, but I have worked in lots of places with many people with substance use issues and alcohol issues. Yeah. Um, so how do we meet real quick? Softball, of course. <laughs> Everybody on this podcast is going to be from softball, apparently. Um, that's fine. I cannot stress the importance of finding a community when you do get sober, no matter what it is. Um, join a club or a book club, a surf club, anything where there's a group of people that you're doing something else besides drinking is good to have because you make those connections and meet new friends and your life is you're occupied instead of going to bars. Um, so yeah, very grateful that we met, because you're awesome. Thanks. <laughs> and I'm so excited for you to get that puppy. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, let's do age, location. You already did occupation. I am 33. We're based in San Diego, from San Diego. Do you want to get into the disclaimers before we get started? Yes, so just a quick disclaimer for everybody. Um, this podcast is based on my opinions, some research and experience, but is not a reflection of one particular patient or client. And also, it's not supposed to be giving any sort of medical or psychological advice. You should consult a healthcare professional or a medical uh, professional for psychological care. Um, also, I have no financial incentive or investment in offering this information. Yeah, we don't pay anybody. It's all volunteer basis. <laughs> and then the other thing is just we're talking about drug and alcohol use and suicide a little bit. So if that's triggering for anybody, just consider how you'll be affected by listening to it. Absolutely. Yes. Thank you for those. All right. Um, what made you decide to get into this line of work? So uh, my degree is in clinical forensic psychology. Um, I wanted to do work in the criminal justice sector, um, specifically to do evaluations for the court system, so like to answer legal questions that relate to mental health. Um, but then I got a lot of experience in the criminal justice field, and I was not um, pleased with that so mm. much. It was very difficult work. Mm. Um, so I kind of switched gears and went uh, more of a clinical route doing direct therapy with clients. Nice. And yeah, you said the settings that you've worked in with people. So lots of addiction you've seen. Yeah. Um, so the first setting I worked in was a crisis house. Um, to become a psychologist, you have a lot of different like sites that you rotate through to get your experience. 
So um, the crisis house was a lot of substance use. Um, people cycling through being homeless, going to the ER, getting hospitalized, getting discharged, going to the crisis house, and then, you know, it kind of goes around in a circle sometimes. Had you ever witnessed anything like that before doing your clinicals? No. How was that? Um, it was a lot, you know, a lot of learning. That's partly why they put you there is to get all of that experience. You really learn so much because you're getting all of the different mental health disorders in one place, plus substance and alcohol use. It's called like comorbidity, right? When you have both. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, very um, overwhelming at first. I bet. And you were fresh out of school. Um, it was during school. Oh gosh. Yeah. So you take a year of classes and then they throw you into a site while you take the rest of your classes. Um, and then my second site was the prison. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Where there's also some more drugs and alcohol use. Rampant, yeah. Um, you would think that you wouldn't be able to get access to that in prison, but you definitely can. Shout out Orange is the New Black. <laughs> yes, they show that on there. Do they show Pruno on there? Pruno, what's that? Um, it's like alcohol that they make in prison. Oh, with like fruit in the toilet? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, disgusting. I don't know. I think they do. I was just thinking about that, too, because I gave away a bunch of incriminating information in all of my episodes, and there's, like, a statue of limitations, right, for Piper in the first episode <laughs> where, like, she carried the drugs, and then it was, like, seven years. I don't know, but I don't – nobody come after me. Nobody's going to come after <laughs> This happened you years that. ago. <laughs> statue of limitations is up. <laughs> um, the other places I've worked are Juvenile Hall, and I worked in skilled nursing facilities for a year and then the group private practice I work at now. Nice. And if you want to announce it, you are going to be starting your own practice, right? I Yes, I am. Ah, that's so exciting. Um, yeah, we'll put your info in the show notes so people can contact you for appointments. Yeah. yeah. Uh, should be December-ish that I'm going to be starting. Hell yeah. I wish you could be my therapist, but I know it's a conflict of interest because we're friends, but I feel like you already know a lot about me and telling a therapist all your trauma over and over again is not very fun. Yes, it can be tough. That's why it has to be a good fit yeah. and someone that you feel like comfortable with for sure. Yeah, definitely. It can take a couple of tries. Yeah, I've had probably, gosh, like five or six therapists that I've ran through and a psychiatrist. <laughs> I always end up ghosting them. I feel bad. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you ghost them? Um, usually I just like get over it and I don't like have a clean break and like straight up tell them. I'll just like dodge until they get the hint. That's which is, fair. That's not good. I mean, I, it happens a lot. I'm doing that with my physical therapist too. I told them I wasn't coming back in and they keep calling me and I'm like, I already told you once. Like... <laughs> Don't make me call you back. Stop <laughs> ghosting your therapist, Miranda. I know. I actually have been meaning to sign up with one because, I don't know, I feel like whenever I'm in therapy, I just feel better about my choices and my thoughts and my actions. It's just nice to have somebody to validate your traumas or your thought processes. And give you guidance. Yes. Absolutely. Because I don't feel like super off track right now. Like things are going pretty smoothly, but I, yeah, it's just nice to 
have somebody to be like, you you got this. You're yeah, doing okay. Sure. Yeah. Um, all right. So in dealing with all those different settings where you saw addiction, why do you think people use? Um, I mean, the biggest pieces have to do with research and also, I mean, it overlaps with my experience. Um, a lot of it is a biological predisposition. So, you know, it can run in families. If you have relatives that have had alcohol or drug issues, you may inherit a predisposition for that. So it's good to know if that does run in your family, you might choose not to even try drinking or any drugs. Um, also, if you have psychiatric disorders in your family, sometimes people cope with those things by drinking and doing drugs. So that could be something that is like a cycle. Um, and then, you know, just general coping with stress by drinking or doing drugs because sometimes we don't learn tools in our childhood to deal with stress. Or if your parents showed you that the way to deal with stress is to drink, you might copy that pattern. Um, and then trauma, you know, when you've been through a really rough time, sometimes you turn to things to cover up that pain. Um, so that's probably the biggest factors that I've noticed. When people do turn to addictions, what does that look like, alcohol use disorder? Um, so there's a lot of different criteria, but you can have it to different degrees, right? Like you could be mild, moderate, severe, depending on how many of these things apply to the person. Um, so we can just kind of go over what that looks like. Um, basically drinking more than you are intending to drink. So you start maybe with one drink and then you end up at the end of the night having drink like 15 drinks. Mm -hmm. That could be one of the signs. Um, Lack of control. Yeah. Not being able to control the drinking. Wanting to um, stop drinking but not being able to. That was always a big one for me because I knew what I was doing was bad and that it was not what I had intended and that it was just going to lead to misery, but I couldn't stop myself. Like if I had a drink in front of me, I had to finish it. Yeah. And yeah. that's addiction. Like if you put that in front of somebody, it's going to be really hard to resist that, you know, it, and also could be that um, biological piece, like the cravings can be related to that and just how your body reacts to alcohol. Mm -hmm. um, it, They've done some studies on people with that biological um, like gene piece, how they respond to drinking versus people who don't. And there is a difference in how people feel from drinking. Oh, yeah, I have that. <laughs> yeah. Shout out my parents. <laughs> um, so those are a couple things. Having really strong cravings or strong desire or urge to drink. Um, a lot of spending time in activities to obtain alcohol, use alcohol, or recover from it. I think you mentioned that you spent a lot of hangover time happening. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, at least once a week, I would be completely just 
sprawled out in bed, not able to do anything. And I would be drinking more to avoid the hangover. It's a disgusting cycle. But yeah, that was the only thing that made me feel better. Yeah. And one of the questions on, um, I think, either the screening tool you guys took before or another one is, do you have to drink early in the morning or to kind of like get rid of a hangover? Mm -hmm. Um, That can be a sign that something is maybe going um, into a direction that is not ideal for you. I used to just think that I was fun because on vacations, I'd be like, oh, it's a breakfast beer. Like, we're we're on a trip. Everybody have a breakfast beer. And then everybody else would be like, no, psycho, we're eating breakfast. <laughs> I mean, you usually people have some sort of rationalization for what they're doing, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you have a story of why it's okay for you. I think that goes along with what I saw. My parents were constantly, well it's the weekend. We don't have work. Like start early. My dad would crack open a beer and be mowing the lawn, have more beers, wash the car. Like that was just a typical thing. And I was like, doesn't everybody do that? I guess not. Right. And that goes back to like what you see is what you do, right? Mm -hmm. You don't know any other thing other than what you see. Mm -hmm. And then you realize maybe this isn't going so well for me. So I've got to learn other ways to do things. Mm Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, so the other ones, I know you talked about this, like not fulfilling obligations at work, school, or home. I completely <laughs> dropped out of college. I was going to Miracosta Community College. Fuck that place. Um, <laughs> it was a great school, but it had a lot of hidden parking lots that was great for smoking weed. So I would just get really baked and then intend to go into my class and be like "Mm, no nobody's they're not gonna call my mom for attendance so fuck this I'm done and I spent gosh so much money I went for probably like three years scattered but I dropped almost all of it like my GPA is probably like a point nine (laughs) but yeah school was one that I dropped the ball on work obviously I mean I just had so many shitty restaurant jobs or like sandwich shops that it didn't matter they knew that I wasn't going to take it seriously so you can just get another one exactly yeah Yeah. that's the danger of restaurant work (laughs) um and then that kind of leads into the next one which is continuing to use the alcohol even though it's having problems like causing problems in your life Mm -hmm. um so like you notice oh I'm having issues in my relationships or with my job, but I'm, I just can't stop drinking. Mm-hmm. It so is continuing. Always a priority. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, giving up activities because you want to drink rather than do the activities. So maybe just, you know, dropping out of all of the, the things you used to do or enjoy. To be honest, I don't even think I did anything. Like drinking was what I did. I, if, things did not involve drinking, then I wasn't to be found. Yeah. So that one could apply maybe uh, to people who start drinking later in life. Yeah. Or, yeah. I mean, not all of these apply to every person, of course. Yeah. Um, Drinking in situations where it is physically hazardous. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, yeah, I was drinking and driving a lot. That's awful. I know. Sorry, everybody, for endangering the public. 
like that. And it's really hard seeing friends that do get fucked up to the point. And I know that they drove. Like, I I want to say something, but I'm like, nobody's mom and they're adults. So all I can do is try and not let that happen. I think it means a lot that you're able to talk about it because a lot of people wouldn't be willing to admit that they did that in the first place. Mm -hmm. And hopefully talking about it will get other people to realize that it's a problem. Um, But yeah, I mean, the, the people who are doing that, they definitely need help. As an Uber driver, especially when I'm working late weekend nights, I see so many cars swerving constantly. Like it makes me not want to drive and like that's when money is the best. So it's worth it sometimes. But when I get swerved into, I'm like, this is this worth my life? And just seeing how many people are still doing that, like why? why? If you can't afford an Uber, don't drink. If, yeah, I mean, well, when you're drinking, you yeah. think that it's fine because you're in, you're not thinking clearly, right? Back to the point of not being able to stop. Yeah, I used to go out and be like, I'm only having one or two. I went out one day and we went to a bar. Then we ended up going to the beach. And then we ended up going to Mexico that night. And I didn't get back till the next day. And I was supposed to have one or two drinks. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. It, that's addiction. <laughs> yeah. Um, another one is using alcohol continuing to use it even though you're having physical or psychological issues from it oh yeah my mental health was ruined especially when i was doing drugs also i was getting super paranoid and would hear some voices every now and then which obviously psychosis that is a big one for cocaine or amphetamines um yeah awful yeah (laughs) Um, and then having to drink more and more in order to get the same effect. Tolerance. Yes, that we've, is what it's called. We've seen a lot of that around the softball field. <laughs> um, it, it is alarming when you see people that can down like five drinks and not be affected. That was me, though. I would be like people would. I would tell them, like, oh, I don't remember what I did. I was blacked out. And they were like, you seemed fine. Like, you were completely normal. And that is, like, whoa. What the hell? Your body is that condition that you're just, like, I can handle anything. So now being on the other end of it and seeing people doing that, like, what's your perspective shift? It's so scary. Oh, God. I mean, when I would black out, I used to say, like, well demons can like inhabit your body and because your spirit's not there you're gone so who is running the show at that point not you yeah and you said you acted like completely out of character yes you're not the same person I know my cousin reminded me that I almost ran her over one time (laughs) I didn't even remember that the next day she had told me I don't even know what we were fighting about it's the erratic behavior that makes me stay on track like knowing those times where I was an awful human to so many people that I love is the reason why I stay sober now because I don't ever want to do that ever again. There's no reason to. Alcohol is not worth it, guys. If you're getting to this level where it's affecting your life like that, just do yourself a favor and quit. (laughs) And that's a big thing that I talk with people in therapy about is like what – type of person are you being while you're drinking and Mm -hmm. do you want to be that person yeah 
Because when you're about to drink, that's what you have to think about. Mm -hmm. Is this leading me to be the person that I want to be? Um, I think anything in life, really. Like, if you're doing something that isn't helping you grow or bring you joy or get you more money, then <laughs> what, why are you doing it? <laughs> if it's just going to be a hindrance to your life in the long run, I mean, if that's how you enjoy living, I guess, but it's not going to get you anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. And then the last one is withdrawal. So feeling crappy, you know, after you drink and like you need to drink to get rid of that. Um, and also, you know, we're talking about quitting, but it's also important to know, like if you've been drinking heavily consistently day after day after day, it's dangerous to stop. Yes. You can have seizures. Um, so that's why we're saying like, talk to a medical professional before you decide to make any changes in these areas. I did want to ask you, yeah, the importance of medically assisted quitting. I guess. Oh, right. Um, so as far and as detox. like treatment options and detox, yes, there's a lot of different avenues to go with mm -hmm. those. Do you want to get into those right now? Um, no, because I've already talked about, so when people are looking into rehab, obviously use insurance. I was trying to find just to give people options, a free rehab. I know that there's like Christian groups that do stuff like that. Do you know of any free? Well, people can also go to the hospital too, but I mean, you end up getting a bill eventually, right? Um, I mean, the best way to go about it would be to get Medi-Cal if you can't afford to have insurance and then get treatment through Medi-Cal because they will pay for it. Oh, okay. Um, they'll, I, mean, I don't know what percentage of it they will pay for or what exactly they'll cover. It probably depends on the plan, but... Yeah. If you need health insurance and you can't afford it, there's resources. Yeah. But yeah, especially if you are that heavy of a user of anything, quitting cold turkey can, it can give be you seizures yeah. and heart attack or worse. So yeah, definitely recommend that. I remember in rehab, a lot of people that were on benzos would just be constantly shaking. And like there was a little bit where I was like stealing my dad's pain pills, it, but I would feel that instant withdrawal like of just shaking and nauseous. And I was like, nope, that, that one's not for me. Yeah. Awful. Eek. Mm. All right. Did we have more of those? No, no that was it. That's the end of those ones. Cool. So if you are somebody that any of this sounds like it's resonating with you or somebody you know, um, maybe look into getting some help. Yeah, and it doesn't have to be all of those things, even if it's three of those things, it's worth considering if there's something going on that you're trying to kind of cover up mm -hmm. or not deal with, like avoiding the issues that are going on. Mm -hmm. um, and even if it's not a problem, I think it's worth thinking about, like, what are you intending to do by drinking? Like, are you drinking just, you know, once in a while to have a good time with friends as a social thing? Or are you trying to actually cover something up mm -hmm. and cope with it? Yeah. In my instance, I think it was all of it. It was that was just my lifestyle at that point. That's how I socialized with friends. But I was also in a lot of pain and not facing any of my traumas or anxieties. And that was my coping mechanism. So and then it gets to the point where, yeah, the withdrawals would kick in. So you just drink more. It's a cycle. So I was just the constant, all of them. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, all right. So I know you did a lot of great research on some statistics. Let's hear some of those. Well, we didn't talk too much about binge drinking. Um, mm. And the criteria doesn't address that as much as it might need to because it can be a problem if you're going out and drinking a ton of alcohol in one night, but you would do it once a month. Mm -hmm. You still can be having some problems from that. Mm -hmm. um, but just a statistic is 23% uh, in the of people in the U.S. 18 and up um, reported that they engaged in binge drinking in the past month. Um, I want to know who they polled because being you think a, it's more than that. Being a driver in this specific <laughs> area, I have UCSD, SDSU, USD. These kids are fucking crazy. They, I will have girls screaming lyrics sitting in the front seat, and I'm like, "Can you not? I'm trying to drive." One girl will put her feet out the window, like on a midday Sunday. I get it, Sunday fun day, but like. All of these children are getting so, so hammered. Yeah. Constantly. So San Diego is probably an outlier because yeah. we have three universities and it's a military town. Yes, that too. Um, but it's a national survey. So, you know, they're taking people from everywhere. Um, but that statistics from the National Institute on Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism. So. Mm -hmm. That's another thing that with colleges, I hate how that is just the norm. Like, you go to college and you're supposed to go to these parties and you're supposed to get fucked up. Like, I wish kids didn't have to see that as, like, their rite of passage. And yeah, that's how they bond with their peers and that's just normal. It's very hard to avoid alcohol mm -hmm. if you're on a college campus, especially if you're living on campus. Mm -hmm. For sure. Yeah. Um, so 10.6% of the population in the U.S. qualifies as having alcohol use disorder. That admits um, it. That admits it, yes. <laughs> I'd say probably about 50% maybe. <laughs> so that's another thing is that quiz you guys took. That requires being honest, mm -hmm. obviously. So yes, it's possible that these numbers are lower because people aren't being honest. Yeah, like I had mentioned previously, I would never talk to my doctor about this because, yeah, when they give you that survey of how many drinks do you have, I'd be like one to two, but in reality it would be 20 <laughs> for the week. Yeah. So, Yeah. But then when you're honest, it gives you a better picture. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the other statistics that I kind of did a little research on has to do with um, the consequences of drinking. So there's 95,000 deaths per year accounted for by excessive drinking. 60 million ER visits per year as of 2018. Um, it went down during covid but the statistic that surprised me the most was that for every 100 injured patients who were intoxicated or had an alcohol use disorder that went into the ER, there were five that died in the following year. Oh, And that yeah. was compared to only one dying out of 100 that didn't have an alcohol-related reason for going to the ER. So it's five times more likely that you're going to die in the next year. Because you're just continuously risking your life. Like, yeah, I mean, it could have to do with a lot of things. The health impacts, the risky behavior. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of factors that probably went into it, but that was surprising to me. So if you start going down the slippery slope, you need to stop yourself before you die, basically. 
Yeah, well, I mean, I think it gets worse and worse as you get older, right? It starts to catch up with your body, um, which leads to more and more health complications. Like I, when I was working in the skilled nursing facility, I saw people who had been drinking for their entire life who had at that point alienated themselves for the, from their whole family. No one was willing to take care of them. Oh, yeah. So they're stuck in a nursing home with, you know, either memory problems or liver problems because of all their drinking. There's a specific type of uh, memory impairment that happens when you drink for years and years and years. Um, and also liver problems are pretty common. Yeah. What happens to old people when nobody can take care of them? That's where they go. The skilled nursing facilities. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. Who pays for that? Either insurance or sometimes people's family. Oh. Um, sometimes people like get moved around because insurance will only cover it for a certain period of time. I used to tell my mom all the time to save up for her nursing home. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out Renee. <laughs> I mean, and these are people I'm talking about who have a medical reason why they have to be cared for. Yeah. Obviously. Otherwise they'd just be on their own. Yeah, pretty much. Damn. Sad. We were going to talk about the other um, consequences mm -hmm. for um, if you're drinking, the things that can happen. <laughs> <laughs> All the fun stories that it feels like a badge of honor the day after when you're like in the group chat laughing about it. But then in actuality, when you think about it, you're like, oh, shit, I got a ticket. Oh, shit. I drove my car into a ditch. Oh, no, I hooked up with this stranger like. I need to go get plan B. Those are all scary things that happen. Yeah, that c covers actually several of the things I was going to mention. <laughs> Accidents, uh, increased risk for a lot of different diseases, mm -hmm. unsafe sexual behavior, you know, which can lead to STDs or unwanted pregnancy, mm -hmm. um, and impulsive decisions. Yeah. It's also a risk factor for suicide if you are already struggling with depression or are already having some sort of suicidal thoughts, then you're drinking or doing drugs. It makes it much more likely that you act on those thoughts. Definitely. Yep. Okay. So after hearing all those facts and figures, <laughs> if you are somebody that does think you need some help, let's discuss some options. AA and smart recovery. I've done a little research on smart recovery, and by a little research, I typed it into Reddit and read like <laughs> what five did posts. You find? <laughs> um, people say that it's a gateway to drinking more, mm. but I feel like it in the name smart recovery, it might just be like a moderation tool for some people that aren't completely admitting that they're addicts um, or that can practice moderation. In my instance, I don't think I could ever do moderation because of all of those things I had said, like, I don't have the control. I use it in for coping and all those things. Um, yeah, I think the biggest thing is you have to know yourself because there mm -hmm. may be people who do need some sort of, like, harm reduction model, which is what we call it, where it's like, can you minimize your alcohol use at least? Mm -hmm. Like, can you cut back? Because sometimes people aren't willing to completely give it up at first. Mm -hmm. So it could be based on that or just that some people are able to do that. But I think... You can use either of these models in a way that's going to be effective for you regardless of where you are on that spectrum. So what technically is smart recovery then, if people are looking into it? It's um, 
well, I looked on their website for their definition, so I'll just <laughs> let you know what that is. Um, yeah. it's, they say it's a self-directed, action-based approach based on cognitive science, self-reliance and self-empowerment, building and maintaining motivation, coping with urges, managing thoughts and feelings, and living a balanced life. They have LGBTQ-specific meetings also. Oh, cool. Yes. Um, I think the biggest the biggest difference between AA and Smart Recovery is just the, um, like, focus on thoughts and emotions more mm-hmm. um, rather than, like, leaving things up to a higher power in AA is a yeah. big piece of it. Sometimes people don't identify with that piece. Mm-hmm. That's the biggest reason why I've had people say I need to do something other than AA. They just can't buy into that higher power part. Mm-hmm. And um, smart recovery doesn't have that. Yeah. I definitely did struggle with the God part of AA because one of the first steps is, yeah, you admit that you're powerless over alcohol and you accept a higher power. And for people that didn't grow up religious or just aren't open to the idea, that's a super hard concept to get past. They say you can make your higher power anything, um, I still made it the typical God and would like pray to it. But I would say I believe in a higher power personally. It's just more so I believe that the higher power is within me. And when I am clear headed and meditate and trying to manifest, that is like my higher power. But yeah, when people are like, fuck God, then they're not going to stick with AA at all. No. So there's more of like a self that that's what they say, self-directed action mm-hmm. um, rather than like leaving it up to a higher power. I kind of want to try it just to see what it's like. Yeah. Maybe you can talk about it on here and tell people more of like the differences. I, I have attended an AA meeting, but I have not attended a smart recovery meeting. Mm-hmm. So I can't talk about it based on my own experience, just um, what I've heard from clients. What do you think of the AA meeting? Um, it was interesting. They tried to call me out and be like, why are you here? Are you an alcoholic? Oh. And I was like, I'm here for, I'm supporting this person. And they were like, are you sure? (laughs) (laughs) I was like, yes, I am sure. Thanks for asking. It's super sometimes (laughs) cult-like. And yeah, they want to latch onto these new members and be like, you're my new friend. This is my product. But that's kind of how AA works. Like, What I get out of the steps is, yes, you admit you're powerless and you have a higher power. And then along the lines, four step, you write all of your wrongdoings. And then later on, you try to make amends when you can. And then the final part is giving back. So you're of service to other people. So I can see where that last part is just like, I got somebody new. That's my job. (laughs) Yeah. And I think with either of these options, there is one concern that people have about going to meetings in general, which is that sometimes there's exploitative people that try to target people going to meetings and offer them drugs. Oh, yeah, that's a thing. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen, what show were we watching where they did that? It was a good show, but yeah, um, that's awful. Yeah, it's really uh, messed up, but it it does happen. I've heard it from, like, multiple people that that's happened to them. definitely. I remember in rehab, somebody had their dealer come meet him, and then, like, they did a little exchange through the fence. I'm sure that happens all the time, but 
God, it's rough. When people are down, just fucking leave them alone. <laughs> Let them try to better themselves. Yeah, but I think as far as like which works better, there's no like real answer to that. It's just based on personal preference and experience. So like go and try both, you know? Yeah. And any other options that you would recommend? Well, like you said, rehab obviously is an option. Mm -hmm. um, therapy is also an option mm -hmm. or a combination of these things. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's Medicaid, uh, medication-assisted treatment. Um, there's a couple of main types. One, basically, you take every day, um, and it makes you very sick if you drink. I remember one of my old friend's mom tried to give that to him because he was just going down a bad path, and she was like, nah, you're going to throw up if you do this. Yeah, so the main problem with that one is if you don't take it, you still can drink. So you have yeah. to be motivated to actually take the medication. <laughs> yeah, that's an easy one to just be like, no, nah, I'm good. <laughs> um, the other type is a type of medication that basically reduces the cravings or also can um, make it have less of an effect when you drink. So basically you oh. don't get the same like buzz or like um, drunk feeling from drinking. Interesting. What are those called? Um... Antabuse is the mm. common one for the one that makes you sick. I'm blanking on the name of the, um, I think it's naltrexone. Mm. But before you that put this familiar. in the podcast, let me look it up. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> it's okay to be wrong. <laughs> but that does sound very familiar. Yeah. yeah. Gosh. E. Um, and then, like, for other substances, obviously not alcohol, there's a lot of other options, um, like, depending on what the type of drug is that you're using. Mm -hmm. But these are more alcohol-related. So from hearing everything that I have talked about, if I was your patient, what would you recommend <laughs> if I was new to sobriety? I mean, I would probably say that you have done a lot of work, mm -hmm. you know, to get to where you are. Yeah. And then try to get into some of like maybe the past stuff that led you to drinking because mm -hmm. I would imagine that there's more. There's always more stuff we can work on from our past. Mm -hmm. We carry a lot of crap with us. Mm -hmm. um, but that's that's just, you know, everybody that comes to therapy is we figure out what those core things are that have led you to do things in your life that you're not super happy with, you know. And work through that stuff. Yeah. Got mommy and daddy issues. <laughs> doesn't it always go back to our parents? I mean, it doesn't it? <laughs> with everyone you've worked with. I mean, childhood is the most important part of it's, how your life turns out. Childhood is formative. Yeah. Yes. I mean, I wish I would have just like saw what I saw and been like, no, nah, I'm good. But I did have that thought when I was younger. I was like, drinking is bad. Like, that is poison that, that makes them act weird, and I don't like that. But because I was peer pressured into drinking, Danae. Uh, <laughs> it's interesting that even really young, you knew that, though. There was something yeah. that, like, wasn't right about it for you. Well, it was everyone in my family. All of them were drinking in excess and having outbursts. I remember one time my uncle, like 
drove the car through the garage and then like took off and we had to like search for him. And I was at the house still with my little cousins and yeah, everyone was just like freaking out, panicking. But that was like not a normal occurrence, but like that was just something that happened when my family would drink. So there was chaos. Constant chaos. Yeah. I remember a lot of family fights too where like me and my cousins would be like eavesdropping in and it would be yeah my mom's and my aunt and my grandpa like just yelling at each other and I was like that why does it need to get like this it doesn't have to be like that so yeah I think I saw a lot of fighting growing up and I didn't like it so that's why I'm so introverted now I'm like I don't fuck with crowds but we've seen you deal with conflict and you deal with it very well. <laughs> <laughs> Did I? I don't know. I was pretty avoidant for a while there and was just like, this will pass for anybody that doesn't know. I mean, you didn't re- you you don't react with like anger and like lash out. That's because I'm sober. <laughs> there you go. But say I was on a come down or hungover, I probably wouldn't be so nice. I right. wouldn't have had the patience to deal with said person. And on our softball team, our old softball team, I was a bit of a leader and there was an issue with one of our players and they tried to come at me and I was like, excuse me? (laughs) (laughs) Who are you yelling at? But it's fine, it's been handled. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I wouldn't have had any of the tools to handle that situation if I was still drinking. Now you don't have the chaos? No, my life is chaos free and it's really nice. I would have never imagined this for myself. But took a lot of work, though. It sure did. And yeah, if you guys would like a more easy life, I guess, just try taking out alcohol. See what it does. Maybe it helps. Maybe it doesn't. But just challenge yourself to quit for like a week or two and see. Yeah, if you're saying, oh, I could stop drinking anytime I could stop drinking. Okay, well, do it then see how it goes for a couple days Mm -hmm. and then you will prove it to yourself that you could do it yeah I used to try for the month and then I would give up like around day 22 23 like oh that's good enough I'm fine but I always knew it was a problem and that I needed to quit I just wasn't fully ready to so I don't know when do you think somebody should call it quits it really, it really just depends on the person because it has to be, usually for people to stop drinking, there has to be a very good reason for them. So it's got to be causing you some sort of problems in your life. You know, um, it could be a problem in my opinion, but if you don't think it's a problem for you, there's not going to really be a lot of reason for us to be talking about it, right? Mm-hmm. People have to be in a place where they are able to recognize that it's causing them problems. Mm-hmm. Um, and everyone comes to that place in a different point in their life, you know? Um, so I don't ever push that on people. I let them come to that place on their own through our discussions. Yeah. Um, because if, if somebody is not ready to make a change and you keep pushing it on them, they're just going to quit therapy Mm -hmm. and then you can't help them at all. Yeah. True. Have you had any, well, I guess you're not allowed to talk about the patients. <laughs> I was going to say, who's the worst? Who <laughs> went off the deep end the hardest? <laughs> Do Most, people ever ghost you? Oh, yeah. 
yeah. at the time. Okay, so it's not just me. No. Okay, good. <laughs> yeah, I think it's easier to just not respond than to like have an actual discussion and say like what you're struggling with. Mm-hmm. But I think it can actually be beneficial to have that conversation because if you can give somebody feedback, they might be able to change what they're doing and actually still help you. Mm-hmm. Um, it depends on who you're working with, of course. Yeah. Um, and also it is nice to the therapist to just give them a heads up that you're going to move on. And that's okay to, to yeah. say. It just lets them know, like, I am going to have a space now to see somebody else. Yeah. Instead of them wondering if you're dead or not. Yeah, that's the other thing is I really, like, kind of get concerned about people that disappear. I'm like, is this person okay? I guess I'll never know. And there's nothing you can do about it if they're just ghost mode. Yeah. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Now you have a new perspective. I sure do. (laughs) Oh, gosh. All right. Well, thank you so, so much, Dr. Melissa. (laughs) (laughs) For sure. Oh, this has been a blast. Um, Would you like to promote your business? Sure. So my practice is going to be called Forge the Key Therapy. Um, Just going to be me. I'm going to be doing telehealth uh, to start and then down the road probably get an office space for in-person. But if you want to reach out to me, and you're not somebody I know as a friend. Yeah. Get in touch with Miranda. <laughs> um, and she can give you my information. Yeah. Yes. Um, okay. Well, if you guys enjoyed this episode, please, please, please leave a review. <laughs> I don't know how many times I have to tell my friends. <laughs> Reviews help this podcast get discoverable for those in need because it puts it at the top of the list versus the bottom. So rate, review, follow. Um, We have some merch. This hoodie here, if you like it, you can order it at we have aaproblem.com. Same for Instagram and TikTok. We have aaproblem. If, Rado, we have our disabled dog here today. (laughs) Come here. Oh, now you want to be still? Come here. Hi, cutie. <laughs> Come on. The cutest man. Um, but yeah, if you enjoyed the show, please rate, review, follow. Um, I think that's it. The end. The end. Thank you, guys. <laughs>